This message is brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about our ministries, we encourage you to visit us online at tabernaclehickory.org. That's tabernaclehickory.org. You can find our sermons on a number of platforms, including Apple iTunes, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. We trust that God will use this message to speak to your heart. I'd like for you to take God's word and go with me to the book of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. And a few weeks ago, we looked at the opening verses of this heavy letter uh, to the Corinthian church. And Paul begins this letter with a prayer and a desire uh, for the church uh, to experience the wonderful grace of God. Aren't you glad for the grace of God? Where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. And I'm grateful to be a recipient of his grace. As we come now to uh, verse number 10, we begin uh, looking at the uh, really the heart of the matter as the Apostle Paul addresses the subject at hand. And so let's begin reading there in verse number 10. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were ye baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you, but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I had baptized in my own name, and I baptized also the household of Stephanus, Besides, I know not whether I baptize any other. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. I want us to look at verse number 10, and we see in the closing portion of the 10th verse, as Paul addresses the matter at hand, he addresses them with this admonition. He says, but that ye be perfectly joined together. I want to speak to you on the subject this evening, be perfectly joined together. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray that as we enter into your word, that you would speak to our hearts, Lord Jesus, be our teacher, Holy Spirit. 
Reveal to us your truth. Quicken our hearts and minds that we might receive what you have for us. Help us to be attentive to your voice. And I pray for our church and for your children that we would not be subject to division, but that we would, as you have commanded us here, be perfectly joined together so that we might in or, that we might receive from you every blessing and so that we might demonstrate to this world the power of Christ and we ask this in Jesus name amen as i said a moment ago paul is addressing the matter at hand here after the gracious greeting and signature in which he begins the letter with, he is now getting to the matter. He says in verse number 11, For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. He was speaking to a church that was dealing with contentions, strife, divisions, and although we find that the Corinthian church was a gifted church, in fact, Paul said that this church came behind in no gift. As we read through this epistle, we note that this church was a carnal church. It was marked by worldliness, by carnality, and by contention. And all of these things threatened the health and vitality and blessing of the church. And so the apostles' admonition is that they be perfectly joined together. The church at Jerusalem, especially in its beginning, of course, uh, at the day uh, once it began or once it was empowered on the day of Pentecost, so the believers were filled with the Spirit. That church, as a Spirit-filled church, was a unified church. And as a unified church and a Spirit-filled church, uh, the church at Jerusalem enjoyed the blessings of God and the power of the Holy Ghost as a result of their unity. Why don't you, if you would, look back with me to the book of Acts, Acts chapter number 2. We have a testimony uh, concerning the unity of the church in Jerusalem. Acts chapter number 2 and verse number 46. The Bible said, and they continuing daily with one accord. Here they are now. They are in harmony. They are in unity, one accord. That's what that term means, in harmony, in unity. In the temple and in breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. So this united, harmonious church is enjoying the fellowship that they have one with another. They have a common purpose, singleness of heart. They, verse number 47, are a church that is known, or was known rather, for praising God. A church that had favor with all the people. The Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Here was a church that was enjoying the blessings of God, the fullness of the Holy Spirit, and they had a powerful impact on their community. 
The Bible said that they had favor with all the people. Imagine that. Oftentimes we hear of churches that uh, have not been united, have not been perfectly joined together, and have been filled with contention. And such churches develop reputations in the community. And people uh, would say of those churches, well, those people can't get along. All they do is fuss and fight. And, of course, those things have happened. But here was a church. uh, When the people uh, noted the church and the community of believers, they, uh, they had nothing negative to say about that church, only good things to say. Wouldn't it be an amazing thing if our church had that testimony in our community? By the way, our church should have that testimony in this community, should we not? And I pray that we do have this testimony in our community. But let me just say this. Though the persecution from without could not undo the church at Jerusalem, there was one thing that could undo it, and that would be contention from within. And we live in an hour where the intensity of opposition against the church from without is increasing. And, of course, we're praying for God's grace and God's strength. But that will not undo us. The thing that will undo us is if we allow divisions from within. It will undo our church. It will undo families and cause great devastation. And so the Apostle Paul is writing from a heavy heart, and he's writing to this church at Corinth, And he is admonishing them upon the news that he has heard that there are contentions, plural, among them. Not just one problem, but numbers of problems. He admonishes them to be perfectly joined together. That means to be completely joined. To be joined completely and perfectly together. The Bible speaks of the church that we are fitly framed together, that God has, by his sovereign hand, saved us, and he has assembled us together. We make up the building of God, the husbandry of God. We are the bride of Christ. We are his body. The Bible tells us that we are members of his body, and every member of the body has a function, and every member of the body is to be united and to be in agreement and to work together in harmony if the church is to function and to enjoy the blessings of God. And if the church does not function and does not enjoy the blessings of God, then we suffer as a result of that. Not only do we suffer, our children suffer, our community suffers, because the only hope this nation has is in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, the pillar and ground of the truth. And so may God help us as a church to be perfectly joined together. Uh, My wife uh, often enjoys watching uh, these programs, and I watch them with her, and I enjoy watching them as well, where um, these people purchase homes, and they renovate these homes, and, and they do all kinds of wonderful things with these old houses that 
really you wouldn't want to buy or you wouldn't want to live in, but they go in, they have a vision for the house, and then they purchase the house, and they begin to do an amazing job. And as we were watching one of these programs the other day, uh, these folks had bought a house in Mississippi, and uh, they were uh, fixing a problem in that house. The door was off center of the house, so they were centering uh, the house by putting the front door in the very middle of the structure, which is where it should be, right? And uh, so as they were doing that, uh, they had already framed uh, the walls for, for, for the door to be installed, but when they brought the door in, they found out that the door and the, uh, all the attachments of the door uh, did not fit within the space that they had left for the door. So they had to make a decision. <laughs> and the decision was to cut into the walls that they had already framed because they had to move them back to allow the door to fit into the designated place. And you see, oftentimes what we as believers think is that we are the standard ourselves, that we are where we need to be in, in matters of our Christian maturity or in matters of our disposition or our attitude or our behavior. And we need to be careful, as the apostle warns us, not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. And when we do that, we make no room for concession. And you see, if the door is going to fit in the proper place, something has to give way. And what gave way in that example were the walls on both sides as they were cut back. Do you know what the Lord does for us? He quarries us like stones out of the mountain. And he shapes us and he fashions us. When Solomon built the temple, uh, the men in the quarry, they quarried that stone and they chiseled and fashioned it so perfectly that when that stone was placed in its position in the structure of the temple, it fit perfectly next to the stones that surrounded it. Every stone was fashioned to fit perfectly within the structure so that there were no gaps, so that the structure was perfect. And what God does in our lives by the work of his spirit is he fashions us and removes the sharp edges, the rough edges. He grinds us down, removes the blemishes, conforms us to the image of Christ and places us together into his body, into his church. And we uh, become then a habitation of God. When we as a church assemble together, God is with us. And we are to function as his building, as his temple. We are to be perfectly joined together. Now, I want you to note three thoughts here. Number one, we'll see the call to them. There was a call that was made to them. And then, secondly, we'll see the contention among them. And then, finally, we'll see the consideration for them. But let's see, first of all, the call to them. 
And I've explained that call already. The call was a call to be perfectly joined together. The Lord Jesus, in his high priestly prayer that is found in John chapter 17, I'd like for you to turn there with me if you would, uh, just hours before he is to suffer and bleed and die on the cross, the Lord Jesus was praying for his disciples. Not only was he praying for his disciples, but he was praying for you and I. Imagine that. The moments before he suffered a cruel death, the anxiety of separation from his father, with whom he had enjoyed fellowship for all eternity, before he who knew no sin was made to be sin for us, he is praying for us. We note several elements about that prayer, but we'll just concentrate on this one thought here in the purpose of this message. We see it in John 17 and verse number 11. We'll also read verses 20 through 23, but let's look together at verse number 11. And now I am no more in the world, but these, speaking of his disciples, are in the world, and I come to thee. He's praying to his Father, and so he says, I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be, what's the next word, church? That they may be one as we are. Jesus Christ is one with the Father. And he is saying in his prayer that he wants his disciples, his church, to be one. Notice again in verse number 20. Of John 17, neither pray I for these alone, but for them, uh, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. That's where you and I come into this prayer. Not just for those disciples that were there, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. That they all may be, what's the next word? One, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be, would you say it with me? One in us that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. You see, our unity, our fellowship, the fact that we're joined together, that we're united together in fellowship with the Son, with the Father, and one with one another, that demonstrates to the world that Jesus has been sent of the Father. And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them that they may be one as we are one. I in them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one. That the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved me as thou hast loved me. You see, we find here that when we are in fellowship with the Lord, then we will be in fellowship one with another. Now, if we would take heed, and if many Christians uh, who sit in pews all across the country would take heed to these verses, then we would have far fewer church splits, would we not? We would have far fewer contentions and divisions among God's people. And Paul, in these verses, identifies for us the characteristics of unity within the framework of the local New Testament church. 
And so let's note them together. He says, now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing. So we're to be unified in word. Unified in word, that there be no divisions among you. He said, speak the same thing. He is speaking here about what unifies us. And we find that our speech unifies us, what we say. And we understand that James tells us that uh, the tongue is a little member. And if it's unbridled, if it's released, unleashed, filled with the passions of a carnal, sinful heart, that tongue can kindle a great fire, can it not? It can bring great devastation to your home. It can bring great devastation to a church, to the life of a young person, to the testimony of one of the leaders of the church. You see, the tongue is a dangerous thing. And here we find that Paul is saying to them, you are to be unified in word, in what you say. Now, we're not simply to be unified for the sake of unity. The characteristic that we must unify around is truth. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 13, hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. Our speech, our unity, and the speech that results from that unity should be centered upon the common doctrines and truths that we hold to. So we're not just simply unified for the sake of having unity. That is a mistake that many Christians make today. We need to be unified. Well, yes, we do, but we have to be unified around truth. We cannot be unified around error. We cannot mix error and truth and continue to be unified. Because if we're one with Christ and one with the Father, then we have to be in agreement and in adherence to his word and the doctrines that he has given to us. So we are to hold fast to the form of sound words. The criteria of unity within the church is our agreement uh, and our adherence to the Scripture and to doctrines of truth. And if we are in agreement on those things, then we will have a singular message. We will speak the same thing. We will be unified in word. Secondly, he says that we're to be unified in mind. He says again in verse number 10, he says that you all speak the same thing and there be no divisions among you, that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind. As we agree that God's word is true, the word of God reveals to us the mind of God, the thoughts of God. And as we take on the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ, we humble ourselves, we give way to our opinions and preferences, we do not seek to impose our individual ideas on anyone else, but we seek to be unified in our mind, in our thinking. And that thinking is governed by the truth of God's word 
and the spirit of humility. And then we are unified in judgment. We're unified in judgment. Being perfectly joined together in the same mind, we're saying the same things, we're thinking the same things. It doesn't mean that we're not individuals and we think differently, but we agree upon those things which are essential, the truths of God's word. And in the same judgment, that means we make decisions and agree together, even in those cases when we may not agree. You see, there's no singular issue I would imagine that all of us would always constantly agree upon. I don't know how many people we have in this auditorium tonight, but let's say we have somewhere near 200 people here. Then we have somewhere near 200 opinions, right? And if we decide on certain matters, we may have 200, 200 different outcomes. What we must do is give way to the revelation of God, and we must give way to the thinking that God, by his spirit, would direct us to think, and by his word would direct us to think, and we must make decisions based on those principles and those truths. And if we do that, even in cases where we don't always agree, in those instances where we have differing opinions, for the sake of unity in the gospel, we can move forward in agreement. The Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 1, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. You know, you can be right about a matter and wrong at the same time. You can be right with your wife and insistent that you win the argument and that you're proven right, but though you're right, your spirit is wrong, and you can do great damage. And the same, the same scenario can play out within the context of the church. So if we're going to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith we have been called, then we're going to walk not with a high-minded view of we're right. We're going to walk in all lowliness and meekness. Not valuing our opinion above the other. Not to think that all judgment stopped with us, that we're the only right ones. No but with lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering. We're going to endure some difficulties, some things that are uncomfortable, some things that we do not like. Forbearing one another in love. We're going to have to, quite frankly, put up with some things and some behaviors from others that we don't enjoy. I'll talk about that in just a minute. How do we do so? Because we love one another. We may not want to go on vacation with one another, but we love one another. And we forbear one another. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, that's a mouthful right there. Did you see it in verse 3? Endeavoring, that means making an effort. 
making an effort, being intentional, being purposeful. I don't agree with brother so-and-so. I don't like sister so-and-so. I mean, when I see them walking down the aisle in Walmart, I turn and go the other way, and I ask my kids, do you think they saw me? I'm not confessing my sin here. I'm confessing yours, by the way. We have to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit. We have to keep ourselves in check. You ever had to do that? I mean, you know, that time, that moment when you would like to, in your flesh, maybe grab a hold of somebody, you know, firmly around the neck and speak not so sweetly to them, but sternly and let them know how wrong they are. That's not endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So we have to bring ourselves into check. We have to submit ourselves to the word of God and to the Holy Spirit of God. And we have to understand what we're here to do. Not to create a comfortable place for ourselves. We're here to serve the Lord. We're here to fight the battle. We're here to build. That's what we're here to do. And if we're going to do it, then we have to be unified. We have to be perfectly joined together. That was the call to them. Let me give you the second thought, the contention among them. Verse number 11, can't you identify here now with the Corinthian believers? They're gathered together. They're hearing this letter as it's being read. They've heard the wonderful greeting of grace, and now Paul drops the bomb. Somebody told me the way you've been behaving. And now that heaviness and that guilt and that, oh, no, we're in trouble kind of feeling that at 52 years of age I still have whenever my wife calls my name in a certain tone. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. There's problems. Now this I say that every one of you, verse 12, every one of you saith, I am of Paul, I have Apollos, I have Cephas, and I have Christ. You see, this church was in a state of contention. And they weren't saying the same things. They weren't thinking the same things. They weren't coming to the same conclusions. Now, what they were saying was, in verse number 12, every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I have Apollos, and I have Cephas, and I have Christ. So what you have is a divided church. And what were they divided by? They were divided along, let's say, not by these personalities, but along the lines of personality. Now, the Corinthians thought Paul was crude in his speech. He addresses that in this letter. And though they may have thought he was crude in his speech, he was a very learned and educated man. Apollos was considered 
by many to be eloquent. The Bible said he was a man mighty in the scriptures. But if you'll remember, he had to be taken aside privately, discreetly and wisely by Aquila and Priscilla who expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. And Apollos was humble enough to receive that. And because he was humble enough to receive that, he continued to be useful in the service of the Lord. Humility is a characteristic and a trait that is essential to Christian service and effectiveness. So here you have Paul, this man who they consider to be crude in speech, not in fact in the sense that perhaps we would think of crude as crude language. Paul was very straightforward and very simple. But he was not a simple-minded man. Apollos was very eloquent. He's the kind of guy you like to listen to. He had dynamic voice, and he was a great orator. And the Greeks were infatuated with people with that gift. So he appealed to them. Peter, well, he was bold and authoritative and very active. And we know that from the scriptures. And Peter approached the scriptures, of course, from the uh, mindset of uh, Judaism. And so he appealed to the Jews. In the church, you have all of these different groups, and they have all of these different tastes and all of these different preferences. And so they were divided. Some said, hey, I'm, I'm a Paul follower. I like Paul. And then others said, well, man, I, I tell you what, I, I like Apollos. And have you read his new book? <laughs> and and uh, by the way, I, I, I went to his college. And some, well, no, I, I don't really care for what Apollos has to say. Let me tell you, if you really want to know what to think, you need to, you need to listen to Peter. I'm a, I'm a Peter follower. And then some said, well, I, I'm, I don't listen to any of those guys. I just simply follow Jesus. And you sort of have that crowd around today too. Now, all three of these men were used of God. Two of them were apostles. So they needed to be heard, and they needed to be heeded. So to discount them was the wrong move. But to be divided by loyalty to any of them was the wrong move as well. So you have to understand there's danger on either side of the road. If you get too far on this end, you're in the ditch. If you get too far on this end, you're in the ditch. So let's drive straight down the middle. Let's keep a safe path. Here was a group of people divided along the lines of personality, along the lines of their taste. Now, what brings contention? Well, Proverbs tells us, doesn't it? Proverbs 13 and verse 10, only by pride cometh contention. So if there's contention in a church, and there were, there were many contentions here, what caused the contentions? Pride. Pride. If there's contention in your home, there's pride. If there's contention within the framework of the church, then somebody is filled with pride. Pride is a sin. It's the original sin. And what do we do with it? We confess it and we forsake it. The source of the contention. James said it in this way in James chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. From whence come wars and fightings among you? 
Come they not hence even of your lust what you desire to have? You know, everybody has an idea about what they want in the church. All of us do. What they like to see done. And he says, come, come, come they not of your own lusts that war in your members. Ye lust and ye have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not because ye ask not. And here's what happens. You take a group of people who are sinners who've been saved. That's what constitutes a church, right? Sinners who've been saved, who join together to do the work of God unless they are being sanctified by the work of the Holy Ghost, those sinners are going to behave the way they've been taught and trained to behave, the way their sinful characteristics lead them to behave. And the only way to overcome that behavior is to be changed and submitted to the Holy Spirit of God. They were divided by their loyalty to certain personalities. And as a result of our fallen nature, we see people from a carnal or fleshly perspective. Again, I, I refer back to what we're studying on Sunday mornings, the life of David, when the Lord said to Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 7, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature. You see, Samuel had an idea for what kind of king the people ought to have. The people had an idea too. But that is not God's idea. So God says, wait a minute. Forget about your standard here. Don't look at those things. Don't look with the eyes of man. Because I have refused him, the Lord said. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. You see, sometimes we're drawn to certain personalities and repelled by others. We tend to fellowship with the people that we prefer to fellowship with. Sometimes that's based on background. That's based on personality type. It's based on our comfort level around that person or how that person might benefit us. You see, all of those things are shaped by our sin nature but they're not motivated by the love of Christ. They're not motivated by the heart of God because the heart of God and the love of Christ compels me to fellowship with people who don't fit in that list. You see, we're creatures of habit. We come in, we normally sit in the same places. We sit around the same people. If, if, a certain person is sick, it seems to bother us more than if someone else is sick. If a certain person is in need, it seems to motivate and move us more than if it were other people. We tend to want to serve those people and do for them to the neglect perhaps of others. But if we're perfectly joined together, we're to have the same care and the same love for one another. How can that happen? Because it doesn't come naturally. Well, it can only come supernaturally as we're filled with the love of Christ, as we walk in the Spirit, as we make conscious choices 
to love our brothers and sisters. The same way we're drawn to certain people, we tend to avoid certain people. Those who make us uncomfortable, uh, determining factors for that may be, hey, jealousy, rivalry. Some preachers can't even, I mean, they, they, they won't even hardly look at each other. Why? Because of rivalry. Isn't that foolish? They're, they're caught up in the same spirit that Paul is rebuking here. Prejudices? I'm not talking about racial prejudices necessarily. I'm talking about when we look at somebody and say, oh, I can tell you about that guy, the way he carries himself, he, he's a certain kind of individual. We all do that, and it's all wrong. We have been called to be followers of the Lord Jesus and not of men. But we can follow men. We can follow men who are following Jesus. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. So there was contention among them. Let's look at the last thing. And that is the consideration for them. Paul said, you got a problem. Here's the problem. There are divisions among you. I'm calling you to unity. That was the call. Be perfectly joined together. I'm going to deal with the contention. You're divided by a carnal, sinful nature that is drawn to certain individuals and has caused you to be loyal to those individuals and divided you from one another and your loyalty ultimately to the Lord Jesus. And as he dealt with that subject, he gives them something then to consider, a question. We see it in verse number 13. Is Christ divided? No. He's not divided. He's not segmented. He's not portioned. He's not separated. Was Paul crucified for you? The answer to that question is no. Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Again, no. Verse 14, Paul says, I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus, who was the ruler of the synagogue of Corinth, and Gaius. Lest any should say that I had baptized in my own name. Here we get a little hint into the problem that there were a lot of people saying things, you know, a lot of talking. Oh, Paul, did you hear about him? He's baptizing people in his own name. You know, people will say, they'll drop little innuendos like that. Paul said, I'm glad I didn't baptize anybody except those two fellas because you can't really say that I baptized in my own name. Verse 16, and I baptized also the household of Stephanus. Besides, I know not whether I baptized any other. I, in other words, the best of my recollection, these are the people I baptized. I didn't baptize anybody else that I know of. Verse 17, for Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. So he gives them a principle to consider here. And the principle is this, that Christ is not divided, that God's congregation, his people, should not be divided along the lines of personalities or preferences. 
but that they should be united in truth. These individuals that they were aligning with, they were not themselves adversaries. They were working for the same Lord. They might do things different. They may have different gifts, but they were working for the same Lord. They were representing Him, and there was no reason for them to be divided by such things. Churches that believe what we believe about the Bible, the Word of God, and that are autonomous churches are, are sometimes known for being divided by these personalities, by these groups. I have no desire to be, uh, to be identified with any group. I have a desire to be identified with the Lord Jesus Christ. I have a desire to be identified as a biblicist, someone who believes the Bible is the Word of God and who desires to preach it faithfully and who desires to live it. I don't always do those things, but I want to do those things. And that's what ought to unite us together. Not what group we came from or who we followed or where we attended school, but that we were sinners that are now saved and brought together by the wonderful grace of Jesus. And that's enough. And anything extra is unnecessary and harmful. So that's the principle to consider. And therefore, we're to conclude that there are to be no divisions. And then there's a priority here to consider. The priority is what are we here to do? To identify with certain groups? No. What then is our priority? To preach the gospel. That's what the church is here to do. We get in trouble when we forget what our priority is. We get off course. We get disturbed. We, we get distracted by things that are of no consequence things maybe that feed the flesh and make us feel good about ourselves at times or bad about ourselves at times, but they're not things that profit. What did the Lord put us here to do? Paul reminds us, for Christ sent me not to baptize. Now, this does not minimize baptism. If you're saved and you know the Lord is your Savior, you're commanded by Christ to follow him in believer's baptism. And if you haven't done that, you need to get serious. That's the first step of obedience in the life of a Christian. What are you waiting for? Follow the Lord. Until you've taken the first step, you will take no other. So there's not a minimization of baptism here. There's a prioritization that is given here, and the priority is I didn't just come to baptize people. I came to preach the gospel, and as I preach the gospel and people are saved, they will surely follow the Lord in believer's baptism. And he said, but I didn't come to preach with wisdom of words. He's dealing with the Apollos crowd, perhaps. Lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. Now, he's not a rival to Apollos, but he's dealing with those who, like Apollos, 
but they don't want to hear him. He's saying, wait a minute, I'm not here to put on a show for you. Do you know how much pressure that removes from the preacher? <laughs> I'm no showman. You know that. I've been here uh, nearly 13 years. I'm not a showman. I can't tell a joke. You laugh not at the jokes. You laugh at my feeble attempts to tell them. Some of you look at me in pity. Poor, poor, poor fellow. I'm not a storyteller. I'm not a very good preacher. Now, don't come and tell me, oh, yes, you are. I'm really not. I'm, and I'm not saying that to get your sympathy. I'm saying that quite honestly because I believe it to be true. But the message I have, it can't be beat. It's the message of Christ. And the priority of the work of the church is to preach the gospel. And all the other things that we get worked up about amount to a hill of beans and dissuade us from our purpose. And if we build hills of beans, but we don't do the work of Christ, it's all going to burn up at the judgment seat. So may God help us as a church to be perfectly joined together. Now that requires humility. That requires repentance and submission. That, that requires that I think properly and that I choose, actively choose to love my unlovely brother or sister as much as I love my lovely brother or sister. And may God deal with us and help us. As he fashions us, as he forms us, as he cuts back the framing on the, of the structure so that the door will fit, may God work on us tonight so that we will be perfectly joined together. Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church. We pray that God has used His Word to speak to your heart today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org. That is tabernaclehickory.org. There you'll find additional resources that we pray God will use to be a help to you. If the Lord should lead you to partner with us or make a donation online, you'll find a link provided on the website at tabernaclehickory.org. May God bless you and thank you for listening.